Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is recognized as one of the top up-and-coming mental performance coaches in the country. He is also an endurance athlete, author of three books, and a keynote speaker, a former college All-American in baseball himself as well. Please welcome to the Elevate podcast, Ethan Miller. Ethan, how are we doing today? Great, man. How are you? Fantastic. Awesome. Really uh, excited for the opportunity. Good. Excited to have you. Uh, we were just, you know, talking about uh, the Iowa connection. Uh, so always wonderful to, to connect with someone that's got some Iowa connection as well. So um, dive into, you know, I'd love to kind of start. And for our listeners, uh, what kind of led you into the work you do with mental performance and what kind of, you know, the journey led you into, you know, the work that you're doing now and then tell us a little bit about Ethan Miller mental performance. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a town of, uh, in North central Iowa. I was a class three high school, uh, humbled high school, four sport athlete participated in essentially every state event that was offered from the football playoffs, basketball playoffs, you know, state baseball tournament, so on, uh, ran track as well, Drake relays and had a great high school, high school experience, great coaches, great uh, teammates, and a lot of great relationships. My parents actually still live there. They're both retired teachers. And, you know, when I was growing up, um, and I even say this now too, is like, Hey, I'm, I'm in recovery as a perfectionist. And there are mm-hmm. tendencies that I had set within myself that I'd noticed at a very early age and wanting to do well and setting expectations for myself that <clears throat> very, very few people could ever, uh, achieve. Um, and that I never experienced that in any of the other sports, like, you know, football and track and basketball, man, I'm just competing, but baseball, man, that was my love. Right? That was yeah. my sport. That's what I want to do well. And as a competitor, we typically have these like moments where it's like, well, I invest a lot of time. I work really hard at this. I want this really bad. So thus that guarantees that I'm going to have the success and level that I need. I want to, that's not always going to be the case. Well, back in the late 1990s, mental performance training was never a thing, right? Yeah. I would have benefited from it massively, sure. um, but I had to go through some hard, you know, sort of experiences, but had a good high school career and ended up at Northwestern college in Orange seat, Iowa played uh, baseball there for, you know, for four years, uh, had the opportunity to play <clears throat> overseas for an NEI national team. And that was my first indoctrination into a little bit of the mental side. And when I had a coach there say, Hey man, Hey, start trying to do too much. It's just one pitch at a time. And that was like foreign language to me. Like, what, what is this that you're speaking of this one pitch at a time Yeah, and had never heard before. So I latched onto that and just even that single premise carried that into then my, the rest of my uh, career for my junior, senior year. And then after, after college, I uh, got into uh, teaching and coaching. Um, I was a head baseball coach for 15 years. And during that journey, I noticed a lot of things in my athletes that I did, had myself. I could connect to that. Like the kid who never is able to let things go, who has a hard time being immersed in like, hey, he's in the fifth inning of a game and he's stuck back in the second inning on something that has happened and how to then move through that. Well, as life would take it, I got to then uh, be the high school athletic director um, and had some professional development money and brought Brian Kane into our school to do a two-day uh, sort of immersion workshop 
we connected and then we formed a relationship there. And then that's where the mentorship program began. And I kind of got into it like accidentally um, just through then teaching classes and getting really immersed into like, how can I provide this service to our, to our athletes and looking back at previous teams. I mean, there's a lot of things I would, I would coach them differently sure. based upon what I now know, but that's, that's part of life. Right. So yeah. I got to a point where I was, you know, I co-authored a book with Brian on the mental game of athletic administration had a keynote to deliver to a conference leadership group that then turned into a book, which then turned into then a team saying, Hey, we want some more help on the mental side. And then it started the next one. So six years later, uh, I'm no longer in education. I am full-time with the mental performance coaching uh, and get a chance to impact labs on such a deeper level. Love my time in education, love the time yeah. in the classroom, love the people, hard, hard, hard to step away from that. But um, the mission field is vast. And yeah. my mission in life is to be a po- to positively impact and influence the lives of those I serve. And now they have more availability to um, connect with athletes, to meet with coaches, to travel, and to deliver this message of mental performance. That uh, is something that's going to be, yeah, started off as a very, very slow drip. <laughs> now it's turned yeah. into a little more steady stream. So that's been awesome. Yeah, no, and I think uh, you said the word serve, and I think that's one of the things, you know, being familiar with Brian, he was like one of the OG guests on this podcast yep. as well. So I have a lot of admiration for him as well. But uh, that was something I think he talked about. I think, you know, that is, I think, especially in kind of some performance spaces that gets lost um, often. And, and, you know, it's about what I want to teach you instead of, you know, serving the people that that you're with. And uh uh, how is how is that mentality? And I think, you know, I, I feel it from you just from social media and the interaction, you know, the things that I get. So um, how do you try to make that that come alive, you know, when you're working with teams and kids so that, you know, that that it is this I care about you and it's coming from a service thing instead of uh, I care instead of I want to correct you. I come in the very first things that I say is, is this is not the Ethan Miller show. This is not about me. This, this is me being a position of service to them, to help them to like, we talk about closing gaps. We talk about like, Hey, here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to be, but how do I actually then get there? Um, what systems and strategies can I then put in place? <clears throat> and it's not about me calling things out, but trying to lift you then up. Uh, but it ain't about me. And anytime that I get in front of any people, whether it be a, a keynote speaking event, working with high school athletes or coaches, I, I always say here are the three things I want you to get. Number one, always, no matter what the concept is, number one, to control things we can't control. Right. There's yeah. so many things in this life that our world does not want us to be control of. And it doesn't. There it's like, hey, go scroll through social media. That's we could blow your mind as far as all the things right. that are outside of our control. But to lock in our systems and our processes and to not just the process, but having a daily process, though there's things that we can't control. Number two is going to be then to be where our feet are. Hey man, let's be present. Let's be here in this moment. This is the most important part of our lives because it's where we're at. And then the third piece is going to be never underestimate the power of decision. And we have, we always have a say in the matter. We always have a choice. It's just a matter of like what it is that we'll be bringing towards that. So, um, and, I, and trust is the number one thing that I do um, in building that up because when I operate in this space, you get a lot of vulnerability sure. and not to be like, say, Hey, this is judgment free. Let's bring things out. Let's have these experiences, but building trust and know that I can connect with them um, through connection, through being a you know character and the right type of person and then being competent in what I know I'm talking about. Yeah. And then you'll start to bring that down because any, that's a, a big question. Like a lot of coaches will say is like, Hey, how do you, how do you get these people to buy into you? Like who, who's new to them? Because you start saying like, Hey, within mental performance training, it's, it's not like a piece of equipment, right? You can, you right. can see it, you know, exactly what it looks like, 
But then once you start experiencing it, then it's like, ah, there it is. Okay. That's what this is now. And yeah. that's the signal. Hey, it's just, just give me a short amount of time to build that trust and build that connection that I'm there for them. Not because something is wrong, not because of maybe what's, you know, the, they're, they're just operating at such a low level, but Hey, what's that next level we can grab? What's yeah. that next thing we can do? How can we then, because everyone works hard physically, that's not going to be a separating factor. Separating factors can be their mindset and how they handle pressure and in tough situations and adversity so they can move themselves forward faster. Yeah. I love it. I know one of my you know passions and where our missions, I think, collide is, you know, I want to you know make this performance training and leadership, tra- these things more normalized. And I think, um, you know, when we go back to a lot of my guests, you know, how do we get into this? There are always some, you know, some pain points that different varieties that led us into the, the work. And you kind of talked about uh, your collegiate baseball and his junior senior year must have been all right. Cause I believe you're in the hall of fame. Correct. So, so, you know, yeah. he, a college career went okay. Um, yeah. You don't get in the hall of fame by, by striking out a lot. I know that. Right. Um, and so, um, but what, looking back, you know, what, before you said you kind of had that experience where you had a little bit of shift and you were starting to kind of, you know, do some mental game things, you know, but what were the maybe things you struggled with before, you know, that when you kind of got into college where you started to have those things click and ah, maybe there's a different way to, to do this. Well, for me, it was, I had a really, I would, I often say this is like I, when this perfectionist tendency of mine, it was when I had a good performance, I viewed that as like, almost like, okay, as a relief. Okay. I did well. I did what I was supposed to. Okay. But I was also one that was like, hey, I go, I go two for four, double home run, knock in some, play good defense. And I'm upset about the two of bats that I didn't get. Yeah. Right. And that's what when I talk about perfection, like it's, you know, there's one thing that, you know, Kane taught me is like, you know, the it's it's a double-edged sword, right? On one side of the sword, it's like your constant critic, and on the other side, it's your like it's your um companion as far as like, hey, keep pushing, keep working hard, keep going. You know, so yeah. we have to find that like nice little middle balance. But it's not about being perfect. Perfect's never gonna be the goal. Right. It's never going to be something we can actually get. Um, So, but that's what happened was I was, I would set expectations for myself and I just felt like, you know, I'm just you know working harder, really really want this. And then I would just beat myself up over it if I didn't play well. And I'm like, I jokingly say, Hey, I'm like the kid in the movie bench warmers in the closet eating sunscreen, right? I'm going to hide from the world. I'm going to get silent. I'm going to play psychological warfare with myself, call myself names. You talk about like the importance of self-talk and self-thought. I mean, I, I can get to a really dark place. And so within me coming into these situations and be able to speak to and work with athletes, I know what, I know what they're feeling. I I've been there. I know that be to be stuck in your own uh, individual suck storm and not knowing how to quite get out of it. And sometimes you just got to struggle through it. And that's just part of like taking on adversity and growing up. And, but what uh, allowed for me was to take that shift of like, Hey man, you, you got to move on from one thing to the next. Okay. You can't, you can't be stuck in it because the longer you stay in it, it's this constant torture and like reliving, right? It's like just, you know, you get a wound that starts to scab over and start to heal. You just keep picking at it <laughs> and it never truly heals. And we have something there that uh, is going to be, you know, more problematic. So that shift to be able just to move on from one thing to the next quicker. Um, but also I would personalize my performance. I used to hang my ego and I think that's, you know, it's a guy thing too, right? I mean, sure. we talk about this, like girls need to, the difference between the, those uh, two genders, you know, girls need to feel good to play good. Guys can, on the flip side, they need to play good to feel good, right? Because they tie their ego yeah. to their performance instead of, hey, it's just, it's not, and then there's the adage of like, hey, sports are what you do. It's not who you are, but it's also yeah. kind of a tough one because who we are as people is because of our experience in sport, right? Yeah. So we got a lot of things for that, but it's also drawing the line on like, 
hey, what about, is the expectation so great? Is it actually like achievable and attainable that I'm now just, I have a hard time then being present and just like getting away from it and just say, hey, I'm just going to be a human being right now instead of like <clears throat> reliving all the bats in my head or reliving the past performances or the golf round or the volleyball match or whatever it may be. Sure. I like it. And you talked about the the double edge there. And I think a lot of times in my experience with student athletes, you know, if I ask them, you know, raise your hand if you're your toughest critic, a lot of hands go up. Right. And then you ask them, you know, are you, are you your biggest cheerleader? And they're like, I don't know. Right. And you can take them yeah. even, you know, get some kind of understand that it's like, why shouldn't you be right? That part. And then I think there's also like, all right, you all said you're the biggest critic. Who wants to do this assessment I brought? And they're like, ah, and mm -hmm. it, it's like, you're your biggest critic, but you don't want to assess yourself and you don't want to cheer for yourself. Like, let's bring this together somehow. Um, and can you talk a little bit about, you know, I think how you kind of bring in that, yeah, we got to bring some self-awareness and critique, but the purpose is to close the gap like you talked about. Yep. Can you talk just a little bit about kind of those, those things at play? Yeah, um, you know, messaging matters. Um, when it comes down to like, you know, the story, like, you know, we tell ourselves, Brene Brown <clears throat> uses that a lot. If you're ever listening to her stuff, she says, Hey, the story I tell myself, which I think is important because we're constantly telling ourselves a story as far as this evaluation from our performance. And we have to have this honest assessment with the messaging to use that word like critic, right? What's the C to C ratio? What is your criticism to compliment ratio that you're telling yourself? Because yeah. the reality is if anybody, and I, I tell people this, I'm like, Hey, if anybody were to talk to you, the way you talk to yourself, you'd be ready. All right, here we go. You'd be, I mean, you'd be ready to step inside the octagon. You know what yeah. I mean? But we tell ourselves that because it's like we have 24-7 VIP, you know, access to our every thought, feeling, and emotion that we have. So, like, what do then we do with it? Well, when dealing with emotions and how to work through that, a question I got from a coach was like, Hey, how do I control the how do I get my athletes to control their emotions? I'm like, I'll explain. While something happens, you have this initial response to that. I go, <clears throat> Yeah, if you can figure that out, right, you, you'll be like the pinnacle and the master of all mental coaches in the world because we as human beings have a really hard time managing that initial reaction, right? Because like, of course, we, we have anger, we have frustration because we're tied to something. We want something to happen. Like if I spill my coffee on my leg, I'm like, ah, get mad about that because we just have that. That's just part of our human brain. Our initial reaction isn't as, as worrisome as or to control so if we're mad don't be mad you're mad don't be angry you're angry but the fact of the matter is we can control then our secondary emotion yeah. that's the one that we have to respond to you know like that whole e plus r equals oh the event plus our response equals our outcome but the emotion plus our response to that emotion is going to help them equal than our outcome and so then they start oh okay so i'm it's okay if i get ticked off if i hit a bad shot on the golf course yeah that's okay of course, you you didn't set off to, to shank it and hit it off the right. No, but what's the next move now? What's the next uh, feeling we're going to attach to that? And that's part of the system and strategy. One of the things that I love teaching the most in this space is process. You know, yeah. working with golfers and baseball players and softball players and volleyball players and um, every, every sport in between basketball players. Like what what is their individual process? And in teaching that, I've kind of settled into this sort of framework with them being present, right? It's like, hey, one pitch at a time, one ball at a time, one, one shot at a time, whatever the sport may be. But it's also more than just that one specific shot. So we talk about closing the gap as far as like, hey, here's where I'm at, here's where I want to be, but sometimes it can break down in the process, right? Yeah. So from that is like, it's not just like, hey, here's this one specific shot. It's about the being great inside the window of time in which that shot is then occupying. 
because say you take a sport uh, like golf, um, <clears throat> a team I work with right now is, you know, they played 36 holes yesterday. They're playing 18 holes today. So on their 18 hole round today, they will be on the course for four or five hours. Yep. They spend more time not playing golf than they actually do play golf. 100%. They're more time just walking around. So even if they go shoot even par, let's say they go shoot 72 on that course. If their window of time and being great inside that from their bag to the ball, back to back again, is roughly around a minute. Now it varies between golf or golfer, but a minute is a nice little, nice sure. little like round number. But when they get to their ball or and they drop their bag, they range find and they go through their process to get present on this ball in that window of time, they then will be executing the game of golf for 72 minutes. And they're going to spend the rest of the time there just processing what's taking place yeah. and knowing how to toggle that switch. Hey, I'm, my switch is on, my switch is off, being locked in, dialed in versus like being had to have deeper focus. We're not really ever watching other people play golf. We're just waiting for our turn to hit. So to teach processes and systems, that's where it gets, that gets really fun because then the athlete takes more ownership of that. And it's not just like, Hey, be present. It's like, Hey, work your process in order to then to be present. So we can then, excuse me, close those gaps down. And then they go to that when they need to. And so when pressure talking about like, Hey, that's a separating factor within athletes, not just how hard they work. It's the mental makeup and how they handle pressure and adversity because the pressures exposes the cracks. Yeah. And so what do they do? They go to their process because the process is the armor that protects them from all the outside interference and distractions. So they, they can be exactly where their feet are and take care of this window of time. I think it's uh, you know, I like that you point out that time. Cause I think even if, you know, you look at a, a college football game, three, three and a half hours, there's only 16 minutes of actual football, yeah. 20 minutes of actual football, yep. right. And six, seven second bursts. And, uh, I think, you know, people are like, where's this 90% mental come? I'm like, it comes from the clock. Like, the, you know, you're there for four hours, but you're only doing 20 minutes of sport. Like, yep. you know, I'm like, so you do have this time. Um, and so, you know, you talked about the process and the systems. And I was uh, at a clinic not too long ago. And this great coach before me was a uh, veteran coach, a lot of success. And she was talking to them coaches about how important it was to just have systems for as many things as you can you know, and she's like, the more systems, the less stress, right? The thing, you know, if you don't, if it creates stress and it does it twice, maybe we should create a system. So yep. minimize and eliminate stress, right? Don't we, we don't want that around our athletes and our programs. Let's minimize it, get rid of it. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, uh, how important it is to, you know, create those systems and routines and what it can do for, you know, a teenage, a college athlete that is absent of them, um, you know, when they maybe use someone you teach it to and they grab it right away and like, oh, man. Um, but talk about how how that shift can kind of occur. Yeah. Um, so with that, as I say, a routine beats random. Right. The, the more the more routine that we have things in place now, not to execute a routine because it's like just the monotony of just like doing the routine. If we're not, say, getting results, we have to constantly like assess like, hey, what's. Hey, you know, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my set my intention. Here's what I'm going to do as far as like when that's going to get done. I'm going to then execute it and I'm going to evaluate it. If it's not getting results for me, then I need to make, make some changes, right? Because the plan we start with isn't often the plan that we end with. And so, but at least getting yourself started in the right way. And one of the biggest <clears throat> ones that I have as far as like just it's the, helping them be better, better as athletes is a byproduct of helping them be better as people. You know, so we have to work on them as a human being first because they spend more time outside of their sport 
than they do when they're actually inside their sport. And so what they want in their sport, we better than behave ourselves in that way away from it because we behave ourselves in greatness. It doesn't happen. But too often we say, hey, here's what I want to do. But my daily habits and behaviors, I'm only comfortable here. So instead of stretching us and moving up to a line, what do we do? We drop it. Right. Yeah. And we say, well, at least I achieved. Well, you achieved at that specific level, but it wasn't necessarily trying to be then your absolute best. Yeah. And so I had a, even a conversation that uh, with a college quarterback here um, a couple of weeks ago. He's like, hey, man, I got a lot going on. He's like from film, from studying to just social life, you know, practice, like all these different things I got going. He's like, I just, I feel an increased level of anxiety for all the things I have to do each, each given day. And I like saying anxiety, like, because that's the question. I mean, I don't operate, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I mean, I, I don't live in, <clears throat> but I also don't live in the, like the ivory tower of like all things like, you know, yeah. academic and like the, the, and there are people out there that are just absolutely brilliant. I, I like to say I live down the weeds, right. <laughs> what actually takes <laughs> place, like, in performance, like what's going on with people. So we can start to institute these, uh, these systems. But so I introduced to him, I said, okay, what, what are you using for like a daily planner? And he's like, well, I just write down the things I need to do, but I find myself not actually getting everything done. I need to. So we started executing what's called the 168 plan, right? And this is like, you have 86,400 seconds, which turns into 1440 minutes, which turns into 24 hours a day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you have 168 hours and that we all have the exact same amount of time, no matter how busy you are, how busy I am, yeah. the good Lord's not going to give us an eighth day of the week, not going to give us a 32nd day of the yeah. month. It's not going to happen. So we got to maximize the time that we have. So starting with that plan that 168 is like, okay, hey, plan your tomorrow tonight. Take a look at it as far as, okay, here's what I do for my wake up. You can do it micro style like I do from, I plan every single moment of my day from wake up until bedtime, or you can just go, hey, here's my a routine block. Here's my class block. Here's my practice block. Here's a different thing. So based on familiarity with it and what they, how detailed they want to get with it, but immediately like, so after this you know, guy takes it high level player um, and immediately just, just starts taking off. He's like, it's amazing how, like, I know what's going on now. I go, same thing too, man. You're as a, as a quarterback, you got to watch film. You got to look at the script. You got to know what's going on. So when you step inside the situation, you have that level of confidence because yeah. confidence is not just like, I can do this. Confidence is like, no matter what comes my way, I can handle it. I'm ready. It's fine. Yeah. Let's go. Same thing with our day, right? We'll plan a vacation for when we got to take off to get to the airport to like, make sure we go here make sure we grab the Uber and make sure we check in by this time. But yet we sometimes just kind of sleepwalk through our, our day, our days. And you know, to, as cliche as it sounds, you know, today is the most important day of our life. It's the only day that we're living, but yeah. How intentional can then we be? So we've got to be not just like intentional, like what we're doing, like say here, what's going to happen next is can I be playing and prepared for what's to come? And then oh, give me the ability to pivot, compensate, and adjust when things come my way. And then also knowing <clears throat> using time as currency. Uh, so that's a part of like a, you know, a, a process that's uh, that's in place uh, from a daily habit standpoint yep. um, that allows them to be like, more present in the areas they need to be. Do you find, I think one of my observations with, college student athletes, you know, even more so just because they're getting out on their own, a little less structure around them. Um, that man, when they just institute just a little structure into their time management, it's a game changer just because like you said, there's a lot of distractions and you just, they just get pulled away. But do you find that, you know, once they can institute, I mean, even just maybe not even the 168, if the athlete's overwhelmed, like start with five days, right? Give me yep. structure, structure the week, Monday, Friday, we'll give you the weekends, yep. but let's start there. Uh, do you find that's just kind of a, one of the things you, a lot of college kids are really kind of struggle with until they're taught it. 
Yeah. Well, and because they have so much more freedom, like within their schedule, like, I mean, they might have a class at 745 in the morning. They might have nothing until noon. And it's like, okay, what do I do at that time? I'm like, well, why would you, you know, let's, let's look at that and say, Hey, here's what I'm going to do as far as my homework block goes, or here's an additional workout I can get. Here's what I can then maybe get into the gym. Here's what I can get it get more shots off. Here's like maybe get in the cages. And then you start supplementing these different things in here, almost like you're, you know, building blocks. Like it's like playing Legos, right? Yeah. <laughs> Using times yeah. like, hey, I'm going to stack these things yep. here. And then once they start implementing it, but that's like anything else too, is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. You can't like do every single strategy known to mankind. There's been some athletes that, you know, high-performing ones are like, I want to do all this. I'm like, oh, oh, time out, press pause. Let's grease the squeakiest wheel first. <laughs> Let's get the thing that is really like an issue here. Let's make that and just work that for a long time. How long are we going to do this? I said, until. I'm like, until when? I'm like, exactly. We just keep doing it, right? We do this until, until we just, you know, keep figuring this thing out. And no matter where we're at, I mean, the, the mental performance side of it in the mental game is not like a box you check and say, well, I, I got it now. That's moving on. Like, no, no. <laughs> It's like peeling an onion, man. You pull one back, there's there's another layer there. You pull it back, there's another layer there. Yeah. So the deeper we dive, the more layers we pull back. And that if we just institute one thing, just one thing, because we're playing the long game, right? Yeah. We're, we're, not, we're not doing this just for – now, there's something we can do short-term to try to, like, hey, speed this thing up and get momentum built. But, hey, what's the one thing going to work? Okay, and keep working that consistently and keep working that thing daily. Even if as little as just, like, hey, just planning your morning, especially for high school athletes – or high school students and college students, like, Hey, what's my morning then look like? Because if you yeah. can get your morning start off in the right way, waking up on time, making your bed, getting the hydration process started, eating some real food for breakfast, nutrition, it's a whole entire different conversation Eating real food. Yeah. Right? Making sure that we're you know prepared for what's to come, get a workout in. And then once we then show up to then where we need to be, we're like, Hey man, I've done all this stuff for myself away from the eyes of others. So you can step inside of any situation possible. And you're like, say, Hey, you know what? I've got this. I, I, I can roll over what comes on the course of my day. I think too, one of the guests I had on Molly Fletcher is like female, female Jerry Maguire. She was known as for a while. She, yeah. she wrote a book called the energy clock. And I think you kind of talked about that's kind of like bringing those two things together is that, uh, uh, you know, where does your energy need to be? Like, you know, when you're at practice or on the field or in meetings, you know, physically, you got to have an energy. If you're in class, okay. If you're in the training room, recovery, lower. But like, you know, don't stack too many high energy things back to back to back throughout your day because then, man, you're going to, we're going to hit a moment. <laughs> and, yeah, and, exactly. And so I think, and looking back when I was a college football player, I'd always try to kind of have two hours before practice, get pack my morning full class, give me a little break so I could head in, you know, practice physically, mentally ready to go. And so I think that's one thing I see athletes sometimes stress out there, the doers, the high performers, I want to do, 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 do. And it's like, keep yep. st slow down the stack <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and figure it out. Um, and so sometimes just like, where's your energy got to be? Cause that's important as an athlete, right? Yeah. Cause we, and there's a be lot of like, and there's a lot of symbolism between like I mean, the physical mental connection, right? Like how you carry yourself physiologically is going to be maybe can impact how you operate psychologically and vice versa. Right. Yeah. And there are, points and times to know like, Hey, I don't need to be like gung ho mode. I can just be, I need to be a student, right? I'm not in my sport right now. Right. I'm going to execute this part of my life. And I even, uh, with a couple of college basketball players, you know, they, you know, academic kids and like, you know, like, Hey, I, I make this transition, like, and kind of bringing stuff with me. I'm like, well, Hey, Clark Kent, the Superman. Right. Yeah. And like, Hey, Clark Kent, you know, love in love with Lois Lane reporter for the daily bugle, kind of a nerd. And he gets a distress call and then he steps inside the phone booth, boom, comes out, he's Superman. 
And so for an athlete using the locker room as the phone booth and knowing like, Hey, I'm, I'm just normal student. I'm friend, hang out, got a, got a girlfriend, you know, got a boyfriend, you know, whatever it is. And then you step inside the locker room. Boom. Now I'm putting on the persona, right? Now I'm putting on the uniform. Now I'm taking on different things. I'm, you know, as a, I mean, I'm going to go from boy scout to bounty hunter. I'm going to flip that switch. I'm going to be in like attack mode. And I'm going to be now put taking on what needs to happen. So then I step outside the locker room, once I step outside the phone booth, having that physical connection to something that's going to occupy you mentally, you take on a different sort of attitude and you can compete like a savage because all of the issues, all the problems, all the things that you brought with you into the locker room, they will be there waiting for you when you get back. And it's knowing how to have that separating factor. Now I'm, now I'm an athlete. Now I'm coming into this situation or look my neighbor down the way. He works for UPS, right? He wears normal street clothes, but then when he puts on the Browns, he's in delivering package mode. But when he's done and that uniform comes off, he's not delivering packages anymore, right? Yeah. So those are things that we can have like some sort of, there's a lot of symbolism to what takes place. Same thing with like a pre pitch routine in baseball and softball, taking a breath through a focal point, not because, Hey, I'm going to be really good at breathing. No, because it's bringing awareness to this moment on this pitch and being great inside that window. So that I can go compete and be focused up on the task that's going to be here at hand. Love it. Uh, get me fired up, Ethan. I knew you would today. Um, as we uh, wrap up, uh, yeah. you know, if you jumped into the, the old DeLorean time machine and got to go see, you know, teenage Ethan um, mm -hmm. with, you know, your experiences now and, and what you do, uh, what would be the one piece of advice you'd, you'd want to tell uh, your teenage athlete self? Don't major in minor things. Give us, don't, give us more. Don't be so tied to the small things that distract us that, that might get in our way when make the most important thing, the most important thing. Right. And if focusing on like being, you know, preparation, focusing on then, you know, having a daily process and focusing on like not being so tied to outcomes, because whenever we get so tied to outcomes, I was, I was a, you know, not victimhood. That's like a poor way to put it, but it's like, I feel victim to that thought process is mm -hmm. I would be interfered by outcomes. So like when think of it, like we're, you know, the, whatever the radio wave that I was listening to, I get further away from home base on my own. I guess it gets really staticky and I would try to hang on to it for as long as possible versus just changing that channel <clears throat> and being in control of that. Um, and those are things that like hey, make the most important thing, the most important thing. Okay, if it's your family, if it's your friends, if it's your fitness, if it's your health, if it's your faith, if it's, you know, film academics, whatever it is, and just gas pedal those things. And I, you know, I was a hard worker. I was a good, good student. I was, you know, respectful character person. Um, but also again, going back to those expectations is like setting these expectations. That's actually would be a minor thing that had major impact because that's where I focused in on. So where your focus goes, your energy is going to flow. And so we're placing our focus in the right things, but also knowing how to, what to actually focus on because within the mental side of it, you're going to have a negative thought, feeling, and emotion can never control that. We're never going to eliminate it. Never. Right. We just have to pay attention to it. Right. We don't have to believe it. If we know the work that we've been doing uh, and the impact that we've been making within ourselves, because that's start ourselves first before we can ever give off on the, and to others. And so that may, yeah, major and minor things. And also not playing the comparison game, knowing me, how I was back in the day with like how social media and things like that, I would have been like, so, so got offered this, so, and so here. And then, so trying to institute that within athletes is like, Hey, after a game gets done with, give yourself 30 minutes of not checking your phone just so you can like process the game. What had just since happened. 
so that you can get back to reality and get back to norm. And then you can go take on those things. Um, and that's another aspect too, within the comparison side. We've heard, you know, you hear, we hear all those things all the time, like it's a zapper fall joy, but also comparison sometimes can be a good thing when it's used for inspiration, right? Hey, yeah. this guy's got this going on, man. That's awesome. Right. You go check out David Goggins. He's on Instagram and ripping the, oh, who's, who's going to carry the boats. And you're like, man, that's cool. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. But those are things that, uh, uh, when, you know, we're taking a look at ourselves and what like truly matters most, right. We have to bring it to here. Let's not complain about what's happening on the exterior, bring it back to the interior and I'll say, Hey, what can I do here in this moment? What can I hear do this today to maximize what I'm trying to work towards? Cause growth happens incrementally, not exponentially. It doesn't happen by leaps and bounds. It's little by little, man. It's little yeah. by little. And those small victories and those small wins we can stack. And then all of a sudden have something pretty big in the end.